0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Happy Friday, everyone. It is Sabres Live, and it's a long weekend, we hope, for everyone in our listening and viewing area And yes, we will not be returning until Tuesday. So that means a lot of yard work ahead for Marty Baron. And (laughs) I would like pictures when your yard work is complete so we know exactly the type of effort you put in from a labor standpoint this weekend.
2: Well, I'll tell you this, Duffer, when my little toy poodle, who's about eight and a half, nine pounds, has to hop in the grass right now to move from one place to another, uh, <laughs> it's because it's getting a little long. But, um, yes, as, uh, the, uh, what's the insurance commercial that says, uh, we try not to, to, uh, try not to turn out like your parents or talk like your parents. Progressive. Like when, okay. Progressive. When, when I'm thinking, I'm like, I really got to get the grass cut because last week I stayed an extra couple of days in Kentucky and that was my time window when I came back to do it. And then it rained and then I couldn't do it. And now it's really getting long. That's me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm becoming my parents. I'm becoming my dad. My dad be like, yeah, okay. So Thursday, I'm going to cut the grass at 930 so that I'm done by noon because then I'm going to golf at 1230. And it's like everything has to be really planned. So yeah, that's my weekend. I'm looking ahead to is uh, yard work extravaganza.
1: So back when your dad wasn't your dad yet, the Sabres were getting started as a franchise as were the Vancouver Canucks expansion cousins, if you will. Some would say siblings. I think cousins is the more appropriate term because they are separate ownership after all. Um, remember the spin of the wheel. Remember as we look into our teams of the day and start with Vancouver, you know, I unearthed some, um, something I obviously didn't know today. Um, when looking back at how it all began, not, not the spin of the wheel. I mean, the spin of the wheel was the greatest uh, stroke of good fortune this Buffalo yes. franchise could have ever had as it ultimately allowed them to take Gilbert Perot. And then, um, you know, the rest is history, as they say. But how many times do you think Buffalo and Vancouver faced off against each other in the first couple of years?
2: In the first couple of years, I would think probably four times, five times at most.
1: Six. Six times okay. In the first year, six times in the second year, no six way. times in the fourth year, even when the league had expanded to 16 teams at that point. Okay. That is insane from a travel standpoint. Remember, this was not luxurious travel no. back in the day and yeah, Vancouver handed it to Buffalo a couple of times early on to get their first-ever rivalry started. Since that point in time, they've been pretty much dead even. Uh The Sabres and Canucks, Buffalo 53, 55, and 20 all-time against Vancouver, Uh, but they have defeated them twice in postseason play back in 1980 and 81, both in preliminary round matchups. The Sabres, how about this? In 1980, this just... Every time I revisit it, for whatever reason, it gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> from the standpoint of how great the team was and how they just didn't win that year. Buffalo yeah. was the two seed in, tw- in 1980. It was yeah. two versus 15. The only team that was better in the regular season was the Philadelphia Flyers, who had a 35-game unbeaten streak that yep. year. Buffalo ended the season on a 14-game point streak, which is their still longest in franchise history. And they also had only two losses in the final 25 games. Unbelievable how good this team was. They were light years ahead of everybody in goals against that season. They beat Vancouver in the first round. They would go on to the Stanley cup semifinals and lose to the Islanders. But it's kind of, you know, that's, these are the origins of Buffalo and Vancouver. Wow. And, and, you know, we were joking off air about mirror images Let's look at these franchises respectively. 53 seasons. Buffalo has made the postseason 29 times, been to the cup final twice, no cups. Vancouver, 53 seasons. They've been to the playoffs 28 times, three trips to the final, no cups. There are a lot of similarities on both sides of the continent here when it comes to these expansion cousins.
2: Again, uh, maybe making the point that uh, 1-16 through in the playoffs and mixing the East and the West is probably not a good thing. So the Sabres start the 1980 playoffs by playing Vancouver, have to travel uh, all the way to the West Coast, right? And look, it's fine, but it's not the travel that you have now. You look at the New York Islanders, who actually um, did the same thing. I'm looking, they played LA in the first round. Like, how weird is that, that you have to travel all the way out But I have a great story for that one. Huh?
1: I have a great story for that one. The New York Islanders LA Series? Yeah. So that was the year they consummated the Butch Goring trade. Okay. And Butch Goring was, of course, thought of in hindsight as the piece. The piece, yeah. The missing piece. Remember, they they had been, the Islanders had been to the semifinals four times in the previous five years. I did a sit-down interview with Dave Lewis, former Red Wings coach, former L.A. King, but former Islander who went the other way in the trade. He said when that series started, he was like having an out-of-body experience in the pregame warm-up. He's skating around thinking, why am I not on the other side? Like the odds of L.A. and the Islanders meeting in the first round, to your point, right? And it was just after this trade deadline deal had happened. He said it was the most bizarre thing he had ever been through, and then of course he had to watch as the Islanders would finally win go four on four in a, 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 a row.
2: Cup. Yeah, yeah they, they won four in a row, and Budge Goring was a big part of that. And now you think of Budge Goring, all-time Islanders, right? Like how great is Budge Goring? works for their TV crew. He's 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 been an Islander since nineteen eighty. It's been 43 mm. years and he will be another Islander for many more. But you're right. Like but the fact that it was one through 16 allowed the Sabres to play Vancouver in the first round. And then the Sabres to have to play Chicago in the second round. It was a four game sweep in a, a best of seven series. So um you know that would never happen again. Play two yeah. teams in the West and in nineteen eighty, as you mentioned, the travel wasn't the same. So, but going back to the spin of the wheel, um, it's kind of funny. If you go on Wikipedia right now, there's a great picture of Gilbert. It looks like it was taken by a fan on a nice little Polaroid after a game, and Gilbert's in a suit and a jacket and kind of like, uh, eh, you know, caught by surprise. But you look at his last junior year um in nineteen sixty-nine-seventy. He had 121 points in 54 games, 51 of these goals. He was the, he was the prize, right? Like you spin the wheel because you knew you were getting Gilbert Perot. Now, Dale Talon was a really good player as well. He went number two to Vancouver, but Gilbert Perot was the guy. He was the guy you wanted. Now, Reggie Leach went third. Good player. Rick McLeish went fourth. Great player. Daryl Siddler went eight. Great player. And there's been great players in that. In that draft, but getting Gilbert Perot was the ultimate prize. And when the wheel stopped and you see the number one and you're like, Oh, number one is Vancouver. But then there's a one underneath it that made it the number 11, which is fitting for Gilbert. That was a Sabres number and they got to uh, get the prize.
1: Yeah. And that's why I kind of laughed when I saw that Vancouver spanked them the first couple of games that they went head to head. Cause you had to know there was extra motivation based on how, you know, the media attention would have been the Sabres winning the, the great prize of Perot. They ended the season series that you're splitting the six games. And uh, as we mentioned, they've, they've been very, very, very similar ever since. Um, man, it's hard to, you want to know who-
2: something incredible? I'm looking yeah. at the 1970 draft right now. There was 115 players picked. How many Canadians? How many Americans?
1: Sorry, 115? Yes. Oh, there would have been 96 Canadians.
2: 111 Canadians, four Americans.
1: I should have bet the over.
2: You should have bet the over. But it's... That's what it was like. Like If you drafted in the 70s and even for a part in the 80s, it was only Canadians. Now, obviously, you got Russians, Czechs, Slovaks. You got Swedes, Finns. You got all the nationalities. But the American players Mm -hmm. have now gone up to be about as, as many players getting drafted as Canadians. It was 111 to 4 in 1970 when Gilbert was drafted.
1: Well, I think, you know, to the point of 1980 and how great that Sabres team was, second overall, Danny knew it too. He's talked about this extensively. It really does, you know, now all these years later for me, reinforce why I was so into hockey at the time. The February Miracle on Ice pulled me in to USA Hockey fandom. I was at... I was eight years of age. I then, you know, in the eyes of many, betrayed my country for the rest of my yep. life because I'd always <laughs> cheer for the United States in hockey yep. because of that. But, and you know, and again, you, you cite part of this on lack of television coverage the rest of the time, but I was clearly reading the newspaper every day and listening to the radio. Um, the Sabres were so good. So like for me at eight years old, Like, this team is rattling off massive win streaks. They're at the top of the standings. Perot's at the top of his game. The U.S. win the gold. Mike Ramsey and Rob McClanahan come from that team to join the Sabres at the end of the year when Mm -hmm. the playoffs begin. You can see how this love affair with the game and with the teams starts, right? Like, it just it has to hit you in the right moment. And I think it's very easy for me now, like, looking back to think of, wow, that must have been, like, (laughs) <laughs> information overload as an eight-year-old. I must have been like walking around just beaming yeah. at being able to enjoy hockey so much at that age. It was it was really remarkable. And, and incredible kind of feat time, though
2: to only lose one of their last 18 games, right? And it was a four-two oh, yeah. loss to the Rangers. But the, you look at the uh the amount of ties though they had Six ties in that 14-game point streak at the end of the year, uh, which you don't have. That draft that year, the 1979 draft leading into that 79-80 season, Mike Ramsey, you mentioned, Lindy Ruff, Jacques Cloutier. I mean, that was some players that will have an impact on the Sabres for a long time. So that seventy-nine eighty season that led to the 80 playoffs where they beat the Vancouver Canucks was uh, pretty significant. In the uh in Sabres history. We don't talk about it a lot, but it was right. a significant season. They were so talented.
1: The 81 year was uh was also a very good one. Uh it was a 512 matchup for Buffalo when they met in the preliminary round. Alan Howard scored an OT winner. Um, he was good, Lindy was good. I mean, they just had a lot of balance, even though they weren't constructed the same way as the 1980 team. Um, but yeah, I mean, they had won the division in the regular season that year. It is fun for me looking back, and I'm sure for a lot of our audience, just it's disappointing in the sense of how many times the Sabres went to the playoffs. They were almost always in the playoffs. So yes. that's good and bad, right? It's very much Atlanta Braves, 1990s-esque, you know?
2: They were always good. They were always, always, consistent. always, always,
1: always really good, right? I mean, even now, like looking at, and we'll talk Vegas here coming up in our teams of the day, I was going to quiz you, like, who, okay, which team has been better in the regular season over the history of time, Buffalo or Vancouver?
2: I would say Vancouver.
1: No, Buffalo by like 300 points. Really? Even with with the last 12 years. Wow. right? Right. And even with the last 12 years, like, the Sabres still rank incredibly high in league history from a points percentage standpoint. They're top, like, they're like tied for 11th.
2: And, those two teams are really because I thought okay so Vancouver went to the cup twice in their in their history three. right three times
1: 82 94 okay. and 2011
2: so yep. I thought 94 11 I I forgot about 82 I'm thinking okay so they went there three times the sabers went there twice uh you know they had incredible players when you think of Pavel Bure and and Kirk McLean and Nat and you know Roberto Luongo and the Sabines, and they're like, okay, they've had incredible players. They had to have had so much regular season success, mm-hmm. but and I'm surprised that the Sabers have 300 points more than the Vancouver Canucks.
1: They had some lowly years. There are no question about that. Um, and let's face it, they quote unquote grew up in the Smythe Division. And that yeah, was not, which fun. Is not a good when one. You, when you were facing Edmonton and Calgary, not to mention Winnipeg with Dale Chuck, another team that simply couldn't get over the hump because of how good Edmonton and Calgary were. Vancouver took their lickings because of all that for a long time, you know? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, the eighties,
2: it, the eighties were a tough decade for the Vancouver Canucks, probably. And then it, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you talk about 82 making it to the finals, but then after that, it uh, was that Harry Neal in 82? Yeah, so, well,
1: well, Roger Nielsen with the Roger white Nielsen
2: with the down. white flag. Harry Neal yeah. still to this day talks about how he opened the door for Roger Nielsen because he got suspended in Quebec City mm-hmm. after a fan basically slapped one of his player across the helmet. And so Harry Neal went at that fan and shook him up a little bit, and then he got suspended, which he's like. I wasn't going to coach anymore. Rogers was Roger Nielsen was way better than me. So I just, I got suspended to open the door for Roger Nielsen.
1: So quick numbers, Buffalo, Vancouver, Bob Solvay, um, pretty successful against Vancouver, yep. seven, two and eight. There's those eight ties that we love talking about. Uh, Craig Anderson, three and one, Marty Baron, one, three and one <laughs> with a 3.15. But here's the good news. Dominic Hoshik, four and four at a 3.4. And a worse save percentage than you. So, uh, yeah, interesting numbers. Delene's been the most uh, prolific against Vancouver of the current group with 10 points in seven games, and we'll see where it goes from here. But you had a Matt Cook memory you wanted to share? I have a
2: lot of Matt Cooks memory because when the Vancouver Canucks farm team used to be the Syracuse Crunch. Yes. So we played the Syracuse Crunch 12 times a year with the Rochester Americans every year, right? And Matt Cook was there. It was Jack McIlharty, the coach of the Syracuse Crunch, and we had Brian McCutcheon, and those two hated each other. They wanted to fight and warm up. The coaches. So the players we joined in, right? I hated Matt Cook. And so we got to Vancouver one game and it's literally like 5-1 or 6-1 in a second. I know we're getting beaten up and the puck is in the corner and I decide to go play the puck in the corner as Matt Cook is chasing the puck. As I touch the puck, I'm like, you know what? I can get my lick here. I am going to go after Matt Cook. I hammered him in the corner, and as he's just down in the corner, I decided it'd be fun to just throw blockers at him, right, and just want to unleash. Well, the problem was a guy like Brad May for Vancouver was on the ice, and at the other end, it was Felix Podvin, I believe, the the goalie, which he was a tough cookie too, and I'm like, I, maybe I didn't think that through. Uh, I should have picked a better moment to go after Matt Cook, but yeah, I – Funny how all my stories lately is I went after John Graham. I went after Matt Cook. I remember the Ottawa Brawl, right? It's like I was a fake tough guy, fake toughness stuffer. You like that? But uh, I hated Matt Cook, hated Matt Cook. So uh, I saw an opportunity to really create something.
1: Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this on the front end of everybody hating Matt Cook? Like there was. Yes, yes, yeah.
2: Yeah, because Matt Cook did not, Matt Cook had a bit of a history in the, uh, in the AHL, how dirty he was mm-hmm. and sneaky he was, but not a lot of people knew what he was like because of. You know, being the AHL at the time. And, yeah. you know, but when he got to Vancouver, it got a little bit worse. And then, obviously, he started moving from teams to teams and always found himself in controversy. But, man, I dropped a good right-hand blocker mm-hmm. bomb on Matt Cook as he was laying down. I feel like this was a clean hit. Yes. Um, And uh although I'm not fair place, so I shouldn't be hitting people either. But it was a nice hip shoulder action and then a nice uh it's like ufc when i I, you have a takedown and you jump on top of the guy and you just keep beating that's what i did with matt cook
1: i appreciated your efforts there i was a big (laughs) fan of it and uh you know matt cook obviously would uh, create oh quite a reputation for himself from uh from you know before that point and then moving forward you didn't have to mention though the nickname of their AHL team, because that was actually why Michael Pekka had that nickname coming to Buffalo in the trade from Vancouver. He was already captain crunch because of his time. Right. It wasn't that part
2: of it. That's part of it. He was captain crunch playing for the Syracuse crunch. And then in 1995 at the NHL draft in Edmonton, Alberta, that was my draft. Sitting in the crowd, right? And all of a sudden it's uh there's a trade to announce, and the Vancouver Canucks and the Buffalo Sabres have uh, concluded a trade that sent Alexander McGillney to the Vancouver Canucks. And in return, the Sabres got Mike Wilson and Michael Pekka and a first-round pick. That first round pick was used right away to draft Jay McKee. And so Jay McKee got picked by the Sabres first in the 95. 95- uh NHL draft. I was picked a few draft picked later because the Sabres ended up with two first round picks. So that trade, McGillney trade to Vancouver, again, a connection with Vancouver, allowed Jay McKee and myself to become Sabres in the 95 NHL draft.
1: Fanda Goldman's coming up here on Sabres Live today. Lots to dive into, including the uh developments as far as the PWHL, and Shana's gonna really take us through. Um, you know, this fascinating time for women's hockey. Yes, No,
2: before we move on to Vegas, a quick story also on Vancouver Duffer. You've been there. Vancouver is a great city. Uh, it's got great food, great seafood. Like we all talk about Seattle, right, and how they have the, the market and the seafood. Vancouver is very similar. I remember one time we went to this seafood place in Vancouver and we're sitting at the uh, oyster bar and whatnot, and mm-hmm. the guy chucking out oysters or whatever, there was a pearl in one of them. And, and the whole place went crazy, right? Because whoever ordered the oyster is uh, that it, the pearl ended up in is supposed to keep it. So they like went to the table with the oyster and the pearl in it. And the whole place went crazy. I'd never seen anything like that. But yeah, it was right there as we were eating wow. at the oyster bar that happened.
1: Uh, I made a bad decision in Vancouver once.
2: Oh, you went to the Roxy and you uh, stayed there too long.
1: I stayed in Vancouver too long. It was in, (laughs) I don't remember, we were in Vancouver for a number of days. It was a really stretched out road trip. And the club was going from Vancouver to Montreal. It was Super Bowl weekend. So the game was Friday. The club was staying over and flying at some point Saturday. They were going to have all day Sunday, Super Bowl party, blah, blah, blah. Well, as you know, I tend to love my concerts, and Airborne Toxic Event was playing a benefit show. So very, very, very small, intimate thing. And I thought it would be smart to just, eh, I got lots of time, like they don't play in Montreal until like Monday or Tuesday. It's, you know. Well, the show was fine, but when you make the decision to forego a cross-country flight on a charter and opt for commercial with about 10 to 12 seats across and you're in the middle of winter and the middle of nothing, but people blowing their nose. I was going to say like just, cold like, season and flu season. Ugh. Oh, I was just, it was probably one of the only times I've ever regretted doing something spontaneous and going to a concert like that. I was like, I'm never passing up a cross country flight on a charter ever again. But uh, you know, live and learn as the Was the say. concert any good? It was fine. It was fine. It was more like for me it was about supporting the band because they were yeah. doing good things and um so I was um, always happy to do that but
2: Well, I uh, did catch probably the best uh Red Hot Chili Pepper cover band ever. At mm-hmm. the Roxy in Vancouver, one night after a game, we weren't flying, so we went there, and it was incredible. Their energy was like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They mm-hmm. were on stage crazy, and that was my first time at the Roxy, so I got the experience of a lifetime there. For those who don't know, it's like this really well-known like bar, but it's got bands playing, and then they take a break, and then there's a DJ. It's, it's a pretty known place and. uh in Vancouver.
1: It's the best of Chippewa West. Let's put it that way. Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, What was I going to say real quick on Vancouver? Mm, I'll have to say it for another time. Cause we got to squeeze Vegas in real quick. Yes. Vegas and Buffalo have a very small history. <laughs> we have just 10 head to head games, yeah. four wins, four losses, two overtime decisions. The season series was split this year. The memory that stands out the most for you for most fans, even though Jack had a big game in well, Buffalo this year, year which, yeah. which, which 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 may stand out for a lot of We people didn't get crying. to see it on MSG, which was okay.
2: It was on ESPN Plus. That's fine. <laughs> That's <true.
1: laughs> That is very true. The first ever meeting, Alex Tuck closing it out with an empty netter. This this, I think, for many people showed hope for what this new group of Sabres would become,
2: right? Oh, absolutely. It was the game that uh, led to Jack Eichel's comments after the game, right, about what has never been this loud since I've been here, and the whole thing, which was incredible. It built on this this villain thing that we have for Jack Eichel a little bit. He responded with a hat trick uh, his next trip back, which was uh, good for him, but... A empty net goal, the way Alex stuck was able to score it, the work on the wall down the ice and from a bad angle, putting it in. And it was, look, it's, it was a season where it, attendance were very low in the building. And that was one of the game where people were like, we're going. And every time Jack touches the puck, we're going to boo him. And then they showed a little video on the screen of Jack and his work off the ice and they applauded him. And then he just stopped on the ice and boo right away. But the effort and, uh, The fan support, it it started. I feel like that game was the catalyst to a lot of other games that happened. And Alex Tuck was a leader in that game. And it was a pretty incredible moment.
1: It was. And, uh, you know, Tuck is trending in the right direction. So many Sabre players are. But, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights are the reigning Stanley Cup champions. And did you know, despite, or some would say because of, their small sample size, they own this claim in NHL history. But, Marty, it's not close. They have the greatest point percentage of any team in oh, NHL yeah. history. They're at 632. Like, what an unbelievable start to franchise history this Vegas Golden Knights team has authored. It yeah. It is truly remarkable.
2: The misfits, right? Obviously, it yeah. started with uh, all these players coming in. But I think what uh, George McPhee... Uh, and the, was- uh, the washington the Washington Vegas Golden Knights did as they took advantage of an opportunity when nobody really knew how the uh, pension draft was going to work and side deals. Uh, Seattle didn't get those side deals. Uh, and but Ve- uh, Vegas did, and yeah, they they came in the first year, go to the finals. Was a buzz in Vegas, all the fanfare around. You and I have been there a few times now with the Sabers and. Um it's, it's, it's unique. It's unique. And they've definitely uh, blown the door right off its, uh, its hinges when they came into the league. Now they will hit at some point, some low moments. It's inevitable. But uh, right now, they've built a, a blueprint for success that has kept them going for a few years.
1: Three bangers so far as road crew parties in Vegas are concerned since they came in. Holy cow. My buddy
2: Clint Malachuk always go in and always enjoying the time that we spend with him and, uh, and, and more. It's been, it's been incredible.
1: It really has. Shana Goldman, speaking of that, is coming up next year on Sabres Live. And, of course, the season is just around the corner. Prospects challenge in the middle of the month here now that we're into September. And just about a month after that, October 12th, is the home opener. We want to see you at Key Bank Center. There's no question about that. So head to sabres.com slash tickets. Um, Because we have these 11 game plans available this year. Weekend plan, weekday plan, all-star plan. And not only does it get you in for 11 of the regular season games, but you can enjoy significant savings from box office pricing and priority for
2: playoff tickets. So get involved now. Sabres.com slash tickets. Yes, Martin. I want to say shout out to Nancy at FedEx on Union Road who got her quarter season plans. And she told me, make sure you say hi to Tage Thompson for me as well. So Tage, if you're listening, hi, but hey, just get involved. Quarter season tickets planned, weeknights, weekends, whatnot. She took weekends because it's easier. So it works out perfect for everybody.
1: The perfect conduit to the fans. He is Marty Baran. I'm just along <laughs> for the ride. Shana Goldman next on Sabres Live.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Stunning development during our commercial break as we welcome in Shana Goldman from The Athletic. I am now appealing to the audience that has, at some point in their life, found themselves in a conversation about sports that they have absolutely no clue what the other people are talking about. And I pride myself on trying to know just enough of everything, with a heavy emphasis on hockey, obviously, but holy cow... You guys are in a league of your own when it comes to talking about tennis, and so I'm just going to remain wow. courtside here for the next 15 <laughs> minutes, and I'm going to soak in the sights and sounds and, dare I say, smells of the U.S. Open, since that has become a talking point this year.
2: Well, Duffer, you guys just, you guys just works go nuts In
1: any direction you want.
2: It works out okay, but until last night, I got to watch anything from the U.S. Open. And now that ESPN and Spectrum are fighting, I may be sitting with you courtside and next <laughs> week may ask Shana, give me a recap of what happened in the last seven days because I may not get to see it. Uh But. I just want to touch on tennis a little bit because every year I played with the New York Rangers and we would get to New York at the end of August and get the kids ready for school. I always said, I want to go to, you know, the U.S. Tennis Center in Flushing Meadows and I want to go to the U.S. Open. And I never did. Shino, you were there yesterday. Is that a must a must trip for tennis fans and, and sports fans in general to just make the trip in for one day and, and go to the U.S. Open?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such an experience. The vibes, it, I feel like tennis has gotten a little trendier the last couple of years with like Serena's comeback last year. And like, it definitely felt like there were a lot of new fans coming in this year. And mm-hmm. it is bougie. So you have to get past that whole element of it because it's a <laughs> lot. But it's, it's so cool because if you you know, you know get a ticket and you have your guaranteed seats, you really get to float around and just see a little bit of everything. The food is great. The drinks are excellent. Overpriced, but excellent. Like everything about it, it it's such a vibe that every year I know I want to go, at least during round one or round two. And I am formally requesting, because we're Jesse Pugula's biggest fans, uh, yeah. Sabres Live business trip to the U.S. Open next year
2: should definitely be happening. Now, would we be allowed to drink honey uh, honey deuces on the show and what we are must. those? Oh my god, they're the best.
0: They are um gray goose, shamboard lemonade and then just honeydew balls, so you can like easily make them at home. During COVID, they were brilliant. They you could buy a kit and they mailed it to you with all the supplies, including the melon baller and a honeydew that you could make your own with the official cups. And you get to keep the cups. So here we are walking around. We had a stack of 11 yesterday in one <laughs> stack that everyone was judging us, even though it's four people. You know, we, we took it easy, but uh, we, we had to split the stack in two because we were getting so much judgment with the empty stack as we're, you know, bringing in fresh cups with more.
1: I'm so glad that you've become a regular on the show. So you can uh, hopefully afford these extracurricular activities (laughs) because Marty and I know all too well the pricing uh, at LaGuardia. Yes, (laughs) And I I felt like when I saw the price here at Flushing uh, that it was kind of the same. But uh, you had me at Grey Goose. So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And we'll see. What's the outlook for Jesse, in your opinion?
0: I think that looks good. I imagine that she's going to at least get to the quarterfinals. I think that uh her path for the doubles finals too, like I'm hoping we see her and Coco Golf make it to the finals. They're so good together, but you know, I feel like the women's, you know, division, everyone's like, oh, it's up for grabs except for Iga. And this year it does feel like on a hard court, even though Iga is the reigning champ, like I'm curious, you know, now that Coco Goff's gotten past her. And I think, you know, Pahula having a win under her belt from a couple weeks ago is good. And you still have Sabalank there and Rabakina, who I think everyone under- underestimates. I think it's going to make for a really interesting finish here. And it's not just, oh, it's Iga's title ever on stop.
2: Okay, quick, well, easy transition because I believe they're celebrating 50 years of equal pay at the U.S. Open when it comes Mm -hmm. to the men and women. Uh, And now, there was just announced last week that there will be a new professional women's hockey league uh, with six teams, uh, three in Canada, three in the U.S. Nothing in Buffalo so far, but we knew the Buffalo Buttes used to be really, really uh, big when it was kind of under the uh, Pagula umbrella and then it kind of just died down a little bit, but would, would that be the setup for the league now, as we transition from tennis to hockey, where we can see big gains made in the world of professional professional women's hockey, or is it going to take time, Shana, when you, uh, when you see how they're set up?
0: I think that we're going to see big gains because I think the confusion, as much traction as Each entity had right. Then WHL to the PHF felt like they had a ton of momentum. But then there was the PWHPA. It was confusing for, I think, the casual fan. And while it was so easy to say, everybody watch everything, just support everybody, it got complicated. And then there was, you know, figuring out how to watch each game and the camera angles were tough at times. So I think now that everything's centralized, all the assets are you know centralized, all the players are, you're having best on best now it's super exciting. It obviously means that jobs are going to be lost because we're down to six teams versus, you know, each entity having their own grouping of teams. But I think that the momentum's just starting now. And this is super exciting because, you know, everyone's going to want to see them Marie Philippe Poulans of the world and the Hillary Knights. And now those that don't know someone like Michaela Grant-Mentis, they're going to learn who she is. And, you know, we're just going to keep seeing it grow from here and hopefully cities like Buffalo and Pittsburgh, you know, and, Michigan they seem like prime locations for teams so I think if they can build on this we'll see that expansion too and then you know everything will be greater you know in the future. So
2: the way that it's going to work is there will be a free agency where teams can sign up to three players and then after that there will be a draft so it's kind of a little bit backwards right the NHL we're used to the draft and then free agency and but they have to start with something. Um, so who do you figure is gonna be the big fish? Who's the big free agent, number one on everybody's list right now? Of course it's Marie Philippe Veland. Okay. Who
0: wouldn't want her, you know, first overall? But it's their contract situation and their salary cap situation. It's kind of convoluted, but it's kind of really awesome. And I think it's going to teach us a lot. I think it's always interesting to kind of learn from someone else's structure. You know, there's parameters on certain players who have to be signed to certain deals and how many players must make X dollars and who must be in this range. So all of it's super complicated, but it feels like you'll see the Hillary Nice and Marie-Philippe Polans go first. But then I want to see someone like a Taylor Heisey go early. You know, she's an up and coming star.
2: Sam like she's 23. Should be a slam like She she could be on
0: a team for 10, 12 years. She's incredible. Like all of the hype and more can carry her own line. Can, you know, not just stand with the elite. She is the elite. You know, she compliments them. She drives them. She's incredible. I can't imagine a team not absolutely diving at the chance to have her.
1: When you made that segue, Marty, from tennis to hockey, obviously Billie Jean King was the common yes. denominator there. And Brian Burke, and she's on the board of directors. And of course, Brian Burke is on the player's side. Um, Shana, in your opinion, how how critical is it to have people with this reputation and stature within the game here? And then how quickly because of their experience, but also, you know, business sense and all the rest of it, how quickly do you think we could see this league grow in time?
0: So someone like Brian Burke, I think, is so good because I think to the old school NHL fans, he adds legitimacy. Right. And I think he's someone for me a more new school fan, I don't agree with this hockey takes ninety-nine percent of the time when we talk about the on ice, but anything off the ice and the inclusivity, there's no one better out there than him. So I think him being a part of this, he's always been a vocal supporter of women's hockey. He's always stressing the best way to support them is showing up and going to games and investing in them. And to see that he's now investing in them, I think that's huge. And I think, you know, it just shows What a big deal this is, right? You know, this is someone who is with NHL teams and he sees the value here. I I hope that sparks, you know, some fans from, you know, recognizing that. And I think that there are some really smart minds in it. I hope we see a lot more of the PHF, you know, coaches and, you know, managers who I think did a really good job. Get included in here, too. But I think already we're seeing, you know, good building blocks with who is a part of this league. And I hope that means, you know, expansion soon. And I think they're going to be smart and calculated with it because the worst thing you can do is jump too quick. We saw that with the PHF with their salary cap numbers that they knew they were never going to match. So you have to be cautious with it, you know, to keep things stable. That's the biggest thing, right? We always hear the instability in women's hockey, and that's what everyone flocks to, the drama with it. But I think just keeping it stable and measured is going to be so important here.
1: But you want to give opportunity as quickly as possible to more and more young players, right? And the only opportunity to do that is give them more jobs to work with. And, you know, we started the show. Vancouver was one of our focal points today. Expansion, Cousins of the Sabres. Like, if you think back to that time where the league went from 6 to 12 to 14 to 16 to 17 to 21, it it did happen pretty quick. And, and you know, we were seeing movement every couple of years. And I really hope that this league is able to latch on to that business success early enough to then lay that blueprint in other markets and, and really, you know, foster th- the success of all teams because it's not going to fly if there's instability mm-hmm. anywhere, right? Like you have to yeah, have of course. These, these, this, this, you know, uh, I, I'm looking for a better word than stability, but um, you know, I, I just, I'm really hopeful, but Marty said it like, I mean, you sit here in in markets like Buffalo and Detroit and others, and you just want to get them involved. I think, as quickly as possible
0: yeah and it feels like there's a door open for it which is nice with nice with the neutral site games we're going to see how nhl teams step up because the league itself we know is only going to do so much they've made promises well it's down to one league and you know we'll just double we're not spending any more it's just we're sending all the money in one place and that's pennies for them so i like that they're standing on their own i don't think that just jumping and begging the nhl to help is the answer because i you know i think that they had their own ripples they have their own things to solve this year But I'm curious how individual teams step up. We've seen the Buffalo Sabres, how they partnered with the Buttes. We saw the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've never had a women's hockey team there, you know, from any of these entities. And yet they've been so quick to be a part of it. So I think the neutral side games will be kind of telling on who is ready to step up. And if there's that financial backing, we know there's the talent. We know there's the players. It's not going to water it down if you had two teams next year, right? I think if the teams are ready to put their money, you know, where their promises and mouths have been all this time, I think that'll kind of push this along even sooner so i get the you know the cautiousness this year too right start with 16 start six teams and start small just as the nhl did and go from there so hopefully they see things are good things are promising and are willing to pay up and do what they need to do to legitimately support women's hockey instead of just once in a while acknowledging that they know one woman
2: and and i think that what is fun is every four years you get the olympics and then you get like involve into women's hockey because it's great. The USA Canada rivalry, the World Championship. But then you get to support them. I remember uh, Shannon Zebados was here in in Buffalo with the Buttes. She's great all time Canadian goalie. And Nicole Hensley was here also with the Buttes and she's the American goalie. So it was like, hey, I want to see how they're gonna do when they get to these international competitions. They were on their own, you know, countries. And uh, but we had that connection with them here in Buffalo. So hopefully that takes up that traction, right? And, and keeps going uh quickly because the champions hockey league, nobody knows what the champions hockey league <laughs> is, but we still have to talk about it because they came up with three rule changes for their champions hockey league play that I want your take on it. One is the full two minutes. If you take a minor penalty, it doesn't matter if you get scored on, you are, you remain on the penalty kill is a new rule Two, if there's a delayed penalty, And you score, you still will go on the power play. And three, if you score a shorthanded goal, then your penalty comes out. You're done. You don't have to kill anymore. Which one of these rules do you like best and why?
0: I like all these rules. And I like that it's being tested. (laughs) Well, of course, it's chaos, right? It's something different. I think that's, you know, the best element of it. I like that it's being tested in the Champions League because I think this is something, you know, it needs to be in this other environment. And then the NHL can go, does this work? Could we try it out? You know, someone has to go first and this is the one to go first. Absolutely. My favorite one, though, is if the shorthanded team scores, the minor penalty ends, it ends because... There's something about the momentum swing of a shorthanded goal, and I think mm. this would encourage teams to have more of that two-way presence on the penalty kill, and we're starting to see it, right? Everybody knows the Hurricanes. Everybody knows, everyone knows the Flames and the Leafs, but we're even seeing teams like the Sabres, right? It's your favorite
1: phrase, the power kill. I love
0: kill. the power Our kill. kill. Yeah. And this truly would kill the power. Like, this is what <laughs> you need to do. You are punished. You need to... Like, earn your person back from the box. This is how you do it. And this is how you're going to get more teams to say, oh, Alex Tuck, he's playing on the penalty kill all the time. And, you know, Tage Thompson, we're going to work on his defensive game. And we're going to be so invested in the fact that he pushes the pace of play offensively that we're not as worried about what he does in his own zone. We know he can read power plays. Go forward. That's how it worked with Mitch Marner. That's why these players get that chance. So I think this will just encourage a different environment. And I think it'll keep power plays evolving because I think they've gotten a little bit stagnant, right? You know, everybody knows the same formations, the same plays. Sometimes you get players who don't even move, especially if it's a five on three, I think this will encourage a little more movement and excitement. And that's what everybody wants to see anyway.
1: Yeah. The only thing that was, you know, with the first one, I would be in favor of the player having to stay in the box for the two minutes, but the team getting back to full strength. I like so that. Uh, And the other big miss I, I feel in, given that this is so special teams oriented teams should never have been and never should be allowed to ice the puck when they're in a position of deficit you're you've committed a crime and now you're getting in a get out of jail free card it has never made sense that you can't ice it at five on five but you can when it's four on five or three on five so i would have like to have seen some tweaks there
0: that's bold i like that but i really like the move of the player can't leave the box even if you mm-hmm. go back to full strength but i would say if we're going there I would like to see goalies. Marty, we've talked about this before. Okay. I want to see them serve their yes. minor penalties a Every little bit day, more often. Day. And I hope it doesn't lead to injury. But how cool would it be? And Marty, you said this if you had specialists for situations like that, like you are the penalty yeah. kill specialist goalie. Like that would be so interesting. I think we'd actually learn something about the position instead of all of us deferring to goalies because we just don't understand it.
2: Yeah, no, I don't like that, but I think it's great. it's genius, but I don't like it. Although I have to say, prior to the 0405 lockout, I was like, oh, we got to keep the red line in, two line yeah. pass, the touch icing, and all of that. And now I watch games from the before that era, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that was boring. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's speed it up. So I'm good with the uh, aggressive nature.
1: Shana, we got to fly. Uh, have a great Labor Day weekend. Enjoy the tennis. We'll see you soon.
0: Okay, thanks for having me.
1: Back after this on Sabres Live. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close want to rub shoulders with your favorite sabers while playing games enjoying food and drinks and putting your own hockey skills to the test buffalo sabers fan fest presented by coca-cola zero sugar is the place for you the event runs september 16th that's a saturday from 11 a.m to 6 30 p.m will include all the fun from last year along with some new touches to ring in the 23-24 season player appearances dunk tank photo ops with banners kids combine hockey fest and more marty there is a terrible rumor going around that you and i may be victims of the dunk tank Your Oh, thoughts? we may
2: but we also have a uh, sabers uh prospect challenge game later that night so we can't be too messed up because we're gonna have to be presentable for the fans at the harbor center
1: one word for the weekend ahead
2: uh hard work
1: labor as hard work yes enjoy it see you enjoy the long weekend we'll be back tuesday